Hello and welcome to another episode of We Are Having Such... We Are Having... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, we have such films to show you. We are having such films to show you. The show where we are showing you such films as we are having. Uh, I am Josh Millard. Uh, with me, as always, is Garth. Um, <laughs> I have not seen that movie in so long. I, I can't... I can't... I feel like maybe we should. Bit. I feel like we should. Uh, we we should uh, maybe do an episode about Wayne's World at some point. We. I feel like. I feel like maybe just like every ten episodes we need to do not a horror movie, uh, just to make sure we remember how to talk about films other than saying well, but it's not John Carpenter. Um, <laughs> I um. I, I agree. But but before anything else, what what episode is this? I think our audience might be confused <laughs> as to the episode number. <laughs> I, I think this might be episode thirty-seven. Uh, maybe that's my New Year's resolution. Maybe my New Year's resolution is to not say the number of the episode and just trust that people will know that the Nightbreed episode is the Nightbreed episode and so on. Also, I'm not sure you actually said your name, Yakov. No, yeah. you did, though. Yeah, did I? Oh, no, you just I, did. Well, oh, well, yes. Okay, fair enough. Too fucking shay. Uh, we have both uh, been up late the night before. <laughs> we have I'm, been up late. <laughs> I am, I'm currently uh, holding a piping hot third cup of coffee and... Uh, feeling it start to do its work on my brain. And, uh, yeah, we're talking about Nightbreed. We're talking about... Uh, now, here's an interesting question that uh, I think... Okay, so here's the thing. I, I I knew nothing about Nightbreed other than the things you have mentioned occasionally since we started working on this podcast. Uh, Wait, I have met... I, I don't... I didn't know anything about this movie either. Really? Okay, well, I... I, 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 I somebody, you, somebody on the Facebook group definitely said, hey, you guys should do Nightbreed. I yes, remember that. Yes, that has definitely come up once or twice. Uh, I think someone reminded us a couple months ago. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think maybe you did a paragraph of reading the first time it came up, and then I didn't know that that was all the reading you had done because I had this vague impression that you kind of had some context for this film. Uh, whereas I had completely none, and apparently you had pretty much completely none too. So here's the thing. Did you, did you never see the original movie? I have not. I, okay. I, I, I've never. This is the first time I've seen this movie. And which the, did you watch the director's cut? That's yeah, on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, Netflix. They've okay, got the new so director's cut on there. And uh, and I because I, yeah, apparently that restores like a solid third of the movie, where the the theatrical cut is like forty minutes shorter and just a mess. Yeah, this is this is a movie that has a lot of impassioned reviews and discussion from fans of the film and of Clive Barker and, and Cronenberg and so on about, you know, you, you hear phrases like, you know, meddling executives come up. And this is definitely one of those films where there's a, a, a powerful internalized war against meddling executives in the narrative of this this film's original release and, and the subsequent re-release here. Uh, yeah, this is like, the, the, this thing has like a Magnificent Ambersons thing uh, going on there or... Um, uh, maybe uh, I'm trying know. to think of a, re- a reference that's slightly more contemporary than an Orson Welles movie. Um, but yeah, it was it was butchered by the studios. Um, oh, you know what? Uh, uh, maybe Fire Walk With Me would be another example where just like the movie that came out was not the movie that was shot. Um, and th- that, that was definitely the case here. And it took, you know, like a bunch of like additional cuts of it came out and then recently the version that's currently on Netflix was released a couple of months ago by a company called Shout Factory who uh, got in touch with Carpenter I mean not Carpenter fucking uh, Barker Barker. Barker. got in touch with Barker they got negatives like they got the original camera negatives they restored the footage they re-recorded um at least all of Doug Bradley's dialogues. Apparently, in the theatrical cut, Doug Bradley was dubbed by his character was dubbed by some guy. Um, 
And and yeah, so this the, this movie is just like a total. This is you know this is much much closer to what uh, Barker in, intended the movie to be, and just not not very much not the movie that came out in theaters. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I feel like I should track down the theatrical cut and watch it at some point now just for comparison. Because I will say, I mean, this I, I, I can watch this and sort of imagine how it got put back together to some extent from the worst version. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's not exactly like, you know, a, a perfect taut film as reconstructed. No. So, so, you know, imagining exactly what it looked like when it was cut to pieces is, is I, I'm curious. I could see it being done a lot worse. Uh and I, I might just have to. I might have to sit down and, and do that as a comparison take at some point. Yeah, this is definitely like. I mean, this is definitely one of those things where I think. Um, I, I I I think that sometimes the director maybe should not have the final cut because um, <laughs> this was. I mean, keep in mind that this is still twenty minutes short of the original shot film. Yeah, which was uh, you know one hundred and sixty minutes long. This one is. Or wait, maybe 40 minutes short? I don't know. This one was a solid two hours. I think the original cut was 160 minutes, which is an additional 40 minutes? Jesus. Um, either way, but like at the third act just, just just drags. It just turns into a... It turns into basically like an action movie at the end and not a very good one and not remotely a coherent one. Yeah. And, and just like a solid like... 20 minutes of like that final sequence of like the big siege on Midian uh, could be cut or or at least just made somehow like to make slightly more sense um, where yeah like there's there's there is maybe and I've seen this in like other director's cuts where there is maybe too much movie in the director's cut and I think that like the people who are very passionate about this movie and I can definitely see that this being like that kind of movie um, reminded me of a lot of um Labyrinth, actually, there was a there. There's a number of things in here that the, the movie actually reminded me a bit at times of Labyrinth. Uh, certainly, it feels like it's it's a weird sort of cousin to that film in terms of some of the set design and costume design uh, and odd pacing idiosyncrasies of the film. Yeah, um, yeah no, I. Well, and the thing is, the end of the film, I like. I agree. The third act is just sort of a mess, and there's a bunch of dumb, needless action. And what it, it's like, it's like the hammiest, ham-handed, you know, riff on Frankenstein you can imagine yeah. in terms of like you know villagers storming the poor uh, monsters and and so on. But it's yeah, it's just it's a big pile of dumb. And I don't know that that can even necessarily be blamed so much on like letting you know someone come back and re-edit and bring back in the stuff that should have gone in the first place because I don't know what they do at the end of the movie if they don't have that stuff in there anyway. Like there's there's just no, there's no substance to the end of this film. It's totally right. just and now a big fight, you know. And I guess they could have had a shorter big dumb fight, but uh, it sort of reminded me of that uh, the the Futurama uh, the scary door episode where it's just like I have combined the most evil aspects of all the creatures uh, into this machine and then um, to create like, the most evil being anybody has ever seen. And then like a naked guy walks out and just says, "Turns out it's man." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I guess to, to, to put this all in context, though, the, the, the reason this came up and the reason this was suggested is this is a you know, Clive Barker story that got turned into a movie. And you know, it's contemporary to Hellraiser. This was uh, 1990, so like a couple years after Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2. Uh, I, th- I think Hellraiser 2 – was Hellraiser 2 like 89 or was it not till like 91 um, that came along? I thought that was – hang on. Hellraiser. I thought it was much earlier than that. 88. 
88. Hellraiser 2 is 88. Because okay, so I know Hellraiser, the original Hellraiser was... I want to say 87. Yeah, 87. And then they yep. just like rushed... And oh, I think it was, I think it was Hellraiser 3 was uh, 91 or 92 then. Anyway, so it's right in there. It's right in there. And mm-hmm. we've got uh, Clive Barker back in here. And there's a bunch of people in this movie who were in Hellraiser or Hellraiser 2 or Hellraiser 3. You know, it's, it, mm-hmm. it's definitely kind of a weird little nexus of that, like, you know late 80s, early 90s, Clive Barker story filmmaking nexus. Um, the moving guy is, well, I mean, Doug Bradley, uh, who yeah, does Doug not have Bradley enough in this is, uh, movie. I was, I, I, was, I was so excited, but you know, he doesn't get a whole, whole lot to do. Um, yeah, no, he's really like the single least effectual character in this, in yeah, this entire he's movie. Representing like, you know, conservatism, conservatism as, as a negative effect on a, a society under pressure. But like in a really boring, I'm not sure that's a good idea sort of way. Yeah, he just walks around being foreboding, but doing absolutely nothing about like the scenario that he is. Uh, can, is, is is foreboding a verb? Can I verb that? Yeah, yes, sure. the scenario that he forebodes. Uh, um. So so, so <laughs> but yeah, we've got we've got Doug Bradley as. Here's a problem. I'm looking at the names of all these characters, and Doug Bradley's character, for example, is named Dirk Lylesberg. And, and and that that makes and you know there's a Rachel and Ashbury and mm-hmm. uh, Cheryl Ann and Kinsky and Onaka and Babette and so on you know all these people just have names they don't have like you know ex- with the exception of Hugh Ross's character is apparently named Narcissa which uh, seems to be more of like his if you will Cenobite name uh, almost everybody's credited by uh, just sort of a name uh, or at least a whole lot of them are but you don't really get any chance to care about what their names are? Like, I don't know if Dirk Lylesberg's name is ever said anywhere. Lylesberg's is. Onaka's definitely is not, or at least not said more than once. Well, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, if it, if it's, if it happens to be said, but in a context where like, oh, that is that person's name and I'm never going to reference that again or remember it, it doesn't really matter. Like, that, like having that name in there is kind of, I realize they need it logistically speaking to make the film because it's like, oh, and we need, you know, this person and this person is in this scene or whatever. But it's like, I... These, these people seem a, like they should all have like 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 maybe moon face and no face and and uh, porcupine a, girl and, and in so my on. notes I, ha- I have constant references to a character named Mac tonight because <laughs> I, I'm sorry that was Mac tonight. Uh, oh if you, man, if you don't yeah. know who Mac tonight is, just it was a McDonald's advertising campaign that featured a man with a sickle moon for a head, and it's it's the same damn thing just with a goatee yeah. in this movie. Um, and then yeah, like I, I just really did not keep track of uh, anybody's name. There was uh, Miss Gypsy Lady. There was uh, there was uh, what do you call it? Boston Terrier guy who was Onaka. I was love Max that guy. guy. Yeah, the, he, like so we've got a whole bunch of people here who all have various uh, you know weird weird things going on. You know, like there's a porcupine lady. There's the Mac Tonight guy. There's the guy who tore off most of his own scalp. There's uh, uh, the guy whose face is in his stomach and the, 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 the guy who's got uh, pincers that come out of his stomach and, and, and the guy who looks like a devil and so on and so on. You know, that guy looks like Paul Bearer, the, uh, what do you call it, the Undertaker's uh, assistant in WWF? I, I don't follow WWF enough to, to, to remember who the Undertaker's assistant was. <laughs> He looked a lot like that guy. All right. Well, the, the, the thing is, you've got all these things, and then there's that one guy who's just like he looks like maybe he's Hawaiian and he's got uh, yeah a terrier or or a pug or whatever it was. And that as far as, as far as I get, though, that's his whole thing. He's just sort of nice and maybe has something clipped to his nipple, and he's got a dog. 
and some tattoos. I don't think and- I don't think he's actually Nightbreed. I think he just showed up and he was just so nice <laughs> yeah. that everybody was like, ah, you know what? Uh, let's. I I don't know how to tell him to leave. Let's. He's not causing any problems. Let's let's just. Yeah, no, he can stay. I like the dog. The dog's nice. Yeah. You know, I always wanted a dog. It, it was sad though because like the moment he comes on screen and he has a dog, you know something horrible is going to happen to him because like the it's it's that kind of movie. You yeah. know, you know it's that kind of movie, which made me sad. But at least they didn't hurt the dog. Which I'm glad. Yeah. Um, and oh, you know who was originally up for that role? Mark Almond. Reminded from Soft Cell. Oh, okay. Remember that guy? Not really. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I like I like their extended version of uh, Tainted Love. That oh, the one with uh, Where Did Our Love Go toward yeah, the end? Yeah. yeah. So, so there, there I, we go. In, in either, I think like at the end of, yeah, yeah, the summer between... Uh, high school and college, I got really, really into soft cell somehow, and um, that's an anecdote. Well done. Yes. <laughs> uh, other, other, other Hellraiser film connections here. We've got uh, uh, Catherine Chevalier was uh, in some. She was Tiffany's mother in Hellraiser two, uh, which I don't remember at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure <laughs> Tiffany had a mother. I guess in that flashback we saw briefly. Uh, Oliver Parker, the guy playing uh, the white pancake makeup tentacles come out of his stomach. Why was that guy even in the film? Like, it was just the, every time he was on screen, it was weird pacing. It was like, hey, now slow down and have a quick comic aside from this actor in this theatrical farce, I guess, that suddenly we're in for the duration of his line. Uh, but he was one of the movers in Hellraiser. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So we got the mover back. Uh, Nicholas Vince, uh, who was the, uh, I think the, the dreaded monster, um, the, the, I don't know what the hell to call him. Uh, apparently he was Kinski in, in the film, but the, the one was like, the, Mac tonight, right? Yeah. N- uh, I'm, Oh yeah, you know, yeah, 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 sure. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Mac so he's Mac tonight. He was, uh, he, he's the chatterer huh. in the first couple of Hellraiser films. Uh, and, and, and Craig Schaefer, uh, the star of our film here, Aaron Boone, uh, He's uh, aside from being, and I probably said this when we watched uh, Hellraiser Inferno. This guy looks like David Boreans on a bad day. Uh, he was the guy. He was the 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 lead character, the dirty cop in in Hellraiser Five. I think that was. Wait the 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 guy that that used to be Liz Lemon's boyfriend on uh, whatever the hell uh, was he? Was he Dirty Rock? Was he Liz Lemon's boyfriend at some point? No, no, no. I mean, um, oh, David Boreans. No, not David Boreanaz. Oh, Wait, t- what, hang on. What are we talking? <gasps> Craig Schaefer, the, the the star of this film we Boone. just watched, Boone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also the star of. Uh, oh no, no, you're thinking of Hellraiser Six. This Hellraiser Five Inferno was with the dirty cop who got stuck in a time loop at the end where he woke up and answered the phone and it was his prostitute from the night before being murdered in her hotel room and it's starting again. Oh no! No, that wasn't him. That was no, that was. Uh, that was, that was Oh, are you sure? Oh, okay. Are you sure? Yeah, that was Craig Shit. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking of Duffy, who was yeah, Hellraiser I'm thinking of Duffy. Six. Yep. Uh, he was he was he was the dirty uh, fiance or husband or I don't remember if they were married or not. Oh, Kirstie's, oh yeah, maybe. Kirstie's, okay. Kirstie's fella. Yep. It's a tangled web. This Hellraiser uh, universe. Uh, but yeah, basically half the cast in this film is also in some other Hellraiser movie at some point. So it really is kind of a, and it's a bunch of different ones. So it's really kind of the weird nexus, uh, of, of those films that, uh, yeah, I feel good that we have finally watched it because it does sort of tie some things together. 
and somebody uh, gets referred to as Pinhead. Yes, yes, I love that. <laughs> I, I have to assume that was not an accident. Um, all, I, and how can we how can we leave out the, the the shining star of this film in terms of acting? Uh, one uh, up and coming young man, David Cronenberg. Uh, in yeah, a, in an acting turn. I don't know that he's done that much. Other, I'm going to look right. I now. know he. I I have like I, I have a screenshot of this uh, just because I I consider it the most terrifying film credit of all time, which was that he played the gynecologist in The Fly. <laughs> so I just have like a screenshot <laughs> of like <laughs> gynecologist David Cronenberg, which is just the scariest combination of words. Um, I don't. He hasn't acted very much. He was in a. He was in an episode of. They made a. They made a sitcom out of Maniac Mansion. You remember Maniac Mansion? Oh yeah, I lo- yeah. The game was hugely influential on me. Isn't it? They 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 made a, a sitcom out of it that was very 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 unrelated to um to the actual game. Uh, like I think they reused some characters, but it was just like a goofy family sitcom. And David Cronenberg guest starred as himself on one episode. Um. And then that, he hasn't really done much acting, and this movie sort of makes clear why. He's not a very good actor. Well, yeah, and it's fine. Like, he's fine. Like, he's not, yeah. he's not good, but, but he's fine. And, and his role as sort of, like, kind of an obvious villain feels mm-hmm. like, you know, if you're going to have someone be sort of, like, uh, unsubtle and menacing, uh, it's not a bad choice, you know? You can the- just pretend that he's intentionally, yeah. carefully presenting a sort of unhinged affect or something. Uh, rather than yeah, maybe just he, not selling it, it just reminded well. me of like I, I can't I really can't put my finger on it but there's another actor who is in very who's also in horror movies who does like a very similar thing to what he was doing in this movie I don't remember if it was before him or after him and I can't put my finger on it but I spent this whole movie being like who does he remind me of and I just I cannot place it um, and also his name is Philip K. Decker which is just adorable <laughs> Uh, so this movie, this movie, I feel like I, I, I'm trying to figure out where I am on it because basically I, I'm, I'm glad I watched it. It's an interesting artifact, uh, of this sort of collection of people we've taken a podcasting interest in. Yeah. Uh, I kind of would like to read the, the novel cause I bet I would like it more than I liked the movie. Um, and, and I, I guess the thing is. I don't think this was a very good movie. I guess that's my basic takeaway. Yeah. And, and, and I don't mean that in like a, a shitty dismissive way. It's just I like that they were going for some of the things they were going for. Uh, it seems like another sort of like I, I get the impression this was maybe not a super high budget thing. Eleven um, million, I think. Yeah, that's actually Which, that's a little more than I expected. Yeah, made nine million. Yeah. Oof. Uh, but yeah, it's. It, it's it's got a bunch of interesting things. It's got a bunch of things that I kind of like as a fan of, you know, people playing around with horror ideas. It's got some great effects. A lot of fun, a lot of fun character design, a lot of yeah. fun makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did, did you feel like it had a lot of great effects? I felt like the well, effects were Well, I'm going to say fine. it had some great monsters in it. The actual visual effects were... I don't know. There was like that thing with like the flying manta ray that was clearly blue screened in. Yeah, that was pretty bad. There was yeah. I, I was, mean, I wasn't clear on that. Like I thought, oh wait, are the berserkers manta rays? Because he was going to release the berserkers, but no. It's just also there's some manta rays. Let's throw in some yeah. badly blue screen manta rays right now because yeah, the the, the mythos of like the uh, of Midian and the Nightbreed is really really undeveloped to the point where it's super confusing as to even after it's explained that they are like the races that were on Earth, you know, before uh, they all got killed, stamped them out. Yeah, the tribes yeah. of the moon. 
Yeah, and then they all just like the, all the remaining ones just happened to move to a cemetery in Alberta. Uh, <laughs> I, know, did, I did just, enjoy that it was a very Canadian film. It seemed like yeah, uh, yeah, and not really pretending not to be. That was that was kind of nice. One of the first lines in the movie is is uh, the, the 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 girlfriend uh, Amy. Uh, I don't know if that's right. Lori, anyway, Lori, uh, telling telling uh, our, our our hero, you know, let, let's just take off. You know, and <laughs> let's let, let's let's get let, let, let's get let's get out of Alberta. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not and you know it's it's so it's clearly they're like oh yeah no we're we're totally in Canada not like oh yeah we're in uh, Boston area you know so <laughs> it's, it's New a simple honesty there yeah but yeah the, the the whole thing with Midian I, I guess this is this is the thing this this feels like. Like I can imagine that in the book it was easy to run with the idea of the sort of mystical dark city and blah 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 stuff because you didn't you, you can just describe it and it sounds great but yep. they did not eleven million dollars really I, yep. I I I was I was going to say like two or three like like they got a bump up from like the Hellraiser films and said okay well we can I, spend a little more I can only assume it just went in, it all went into the monster effects because otherwise like the gore was. Not good. Like the uh, the scenes where um, uh, what's his name uh, Decker? Does he does he have a serial killer name? Did, did they not name the serial killer because he's got like a mask? Yeah, and he's I, got I, like a weapon, but he doesn't have a name. Which is I, so I weird. named him Buttonface. Buttonface. Uh, but, yeah, uh, why not? But that's but when, just my like, own appellation. Yeah, when Buttonface kills like that 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 couple with the kid, like when he goes to slash like the husband's throat, like that 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 knife is a solid inch from his neck. <laughs> And there are no wounds. There is, you know, like the gore in this movie is just not great, which is so weird considering how good, like the, the like you know, gross, like like visceral, like you know, guy with a stomach for a or a head for a stomach effects are. Yeah, like the the, the gore was just really subpar. Yeah, um, and like when uh, what is her name? Cheryl, Cheryl. Cheryl Lee, Cheryl, Cheryl, Cheryl Ann. Cheryl Ann is you know like tied to that tree. That is clearly an alive woman covered in makeup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it well, and it's interesting because I mean, I don't think of David Cronenberg as a gore guy particularly, I guess. So in that sense it's not weird. You know, I tend to think of you Wait, know, Cronenberg I, I, or Barker? Uh, Cronenberg. Uh Barker certainly is is yeah. totally happy with gore, but Cronenberg as a director, you know, I think like Naked Lunch, I think I tend to think like gross plastic-ish puppet effects more than I think gore with him. So in that sense it kind of makes sense. But wait, but, Barker, uh, wait. Cronenberg was only in it I think Barker, uh, Barker directed it. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Cronenberg had no. Yeah, Cur- I, I feel. I, mean, I, I feel. I had some. Uh, I, I feel better about that then because it's like, yeah, yeah, this is this is maybe the the worst Cronenberg film I've seen. I really thought it was directed by him, and I was like, ah, like like they had just sort of buddied up and done it. Okay, that changes. He was just in it. Things um, for me. Not even sure he was a producer or anything. Just checking the credits now. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's not a Cronenberg movie. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just attribute. Which, to yeah, the, this would have been a really fucking bad Cronenberg movie. <laughs> well, I was like, oh wow, how'd that happen exactly? But you know, maybe just you get a fun idea and you run with it. You know, yeah. Uh, in summary, Clive Barker, come on our podcast. We'd love to talk to you about how much uh, we have bad attitudes about uh, your directing because we're fans. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. So yes, I feel much better. Um, I feel like I feel like there was something very Cronenbergian about some of the monster design stuff, but that may have just been like he was in the neighborhood rather than him having a direct hand in it. 
um, stomach and face guy, uh, or face and stomach guy, definitely like, like you say, you know, had a very visceral look to it. And that sort of reminded me of, uh, you know, William Burroughs's sentient typewriter in, in naked lunch or, or some yeah, weird dongle stuff. Really? Oh, you should see it. It's nice. Uh, you know, Peter Weller is great. I, uh, basically watch anything he's in, but no, it's, it's good. Uh, it's, it, it, have you read the book? Um, I no, I've not read anything by Burroughs. It's, it's the, the, the movie is really interesting because like the book, you know, one of the things about the movie is like, it's crowed is like, ah, you know, the, the filmed an unfilmable book. And it really is kind of unfilmable as a book because Burroughs, whole style of writing is very, uh, free associative and, and very disjointed, you know, uh, by design, uh, and so making a movie of that gets very tricky and the movie ends up being sort of a weird melange of uh, elements of the book and also elements of Burroughs' life um, sort of mashed together into one weird surreal uh, narrative that jumps around uh, but the movie for all its weirdness and darkness is also like way uh, toned down from some of the weirder shit in the book so it's it, it, it's really worth seeing I, I, I it's it, it's got a lot of Cronenberg all over it and it's uh, interesting if very uh, confusing film to to sit through uh, as, as as one of the road trippers in that episode of The Simpsons said there are at least two things wrong with the title of that film um, I don't know if anybody remembers that episode of Simpsons though they, they 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 went to the expo and the expo turned out not to be there but they they like went on a road trip Nelson and Bart and Milhouse oh yeah and, yeah uh, I can think of two things wrong with that yeah. title <laughs> yeah it was uh, yeah when they steal that car and then yeah, yeah that's a great they episode and they get lunch yes anyway <laughs> in summary David Cronenberg did not direct this film <laughs> but uh. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find a sense of direction on this because there's, there's the creature effects were really were interesting, but the creature effects one of the, one of the problems I have with the film is that it was trying to cram a whole lot of stuff in there uh, at the expense of a particularly compelling or even at times coherent narrative, and so you've yeah. got a bunch of great creature designs, uh, but you basically see them as like flashy cameos throughout the the film for the most part, and you know some of the characters we're going to see more of, but. A lot of them, someone came up with, okay, now here's a lady, and she's got sort of like uh, green skin and fronds, and, and coming out of her chin is a beard of fingers, you know, and, and then they did that, and there's like, you know, one second of that on film in the third act, uh, and it's great. It's like, oh, hey, that's a neat character design, um, and maybe a lot of these, they didn't really have the time or the budget to like really animate some of the stuff, and so it would have worn badly if it had been given a lot of screen time, but it is kind of like, it feels like a big demo reel of fun character design and monster design stuff but you know i didn't really you know i don't go sit down to a movie to watch a demo reel i sit down to watch a you know a a, a film you know i sit down to yeah. watch a story um so it's kind of frustrating it felt like there was a lot of work done on these elements that just didn't have a place in the story other than saying no no really there's all kinds of night breed um and then we went. Yeah, back and to, then just uh, like the, that final scene where like just a bunch of them are just getting shot, which is just you know like you you see like more monsters die getting shot in the back than than anything else, and none of them we've been introduced to, and and it, it was just it was it was it was so weird that they 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 concentrate mainly on like four or five of them, 
There's um, there's uh, what do you call it? Cornrows guy who, and it's weird. Like, um, what, what the hell is his name? Something it's something French sounding. Uh, uh, was he Petine? Maybe uh, uh, something like that. Palanquin. Uh, Palanquin. I think th- I think that was the mover guy who was the dude with the tentacles that come out of his stomach who get all the who got all the big dumb like aside on the stage lines. Uh. No, no, uh, Peliquin. Peliquin is the is the dreadlocks guy. Is he? Oh, maybe I'm getting yeah. backwards. Well, he's the mover. I, I think I might be. Oh, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess I'm seeing that now. Anyway, yeah. So, so he's he's the guy. Who's yeah. one of the movers. Um, and it's weird. Like you're you're introduced to like Nightbreed. Like you're introduced to like the Nightbreed with like Mac tonight and Peliquin. And Peliquin's like, I'm going to eat this meat. And the other guy's like, No, it's against the law. And and just like. Over the course of the movie, it turns out that Peliquin is just like a huge dick, and everybody else is generally cool. That they no, nobody else has been seen eating people, like yeah, or he, trying to eat people, except him. He's just he's just a, a jackass, and it yeah. turns out he had to try and bite him because that was part of the prophecy. And yeah, the prophecy stuff and the stuff with Baphomet. I always I always thought it was ba- you know like like Baphomet, but uh, yeah, me too. I've never heard it pronounced um, with a, a silent T. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, like all that stuff. Like we didn't get really a whole lot of that either, and it's like like the idea that Baphomet was just like this uh, demon or god or whatever, just hanging out down in the basement of Midian is sort of interesting. But you know that never really got explained well. We never really got a good picture of the role prophecy plays in their society, yeah. other than the fact that it's painted on a wall somewhere, and then when shit starts going bad, people are like, oh yeah, the prophecy. Um, it's never really made clear what's going on with Boone when he goes to see Baphomet and the fact that he went to see Baphomet nope. and then didn't die is apparently some big record-breaking thing that no one's ever seen happen. But we get none of that either. It's just like we sort of get informed in passing that, oh, that's a big deal. But then there's a bunch of people down with Baphomet later anyway. So I don't know if, I don't know if the dangerous thing is uh, supposed to be just being in the same room as Baphomet or going to Baphomet and asking a question or something, but we don't yeah, see I him think, ask I, a question. Yeah, I, I think it's implying that maybe it's it's having interaction with him, but I'm not sure what kind of interaction. It, yeah, it's it's super, super unclear. Like, just anything that happens in Midian, it seems like Boone knows what he's doing, even though he got there four days prior. By the way, I, I just want to say the, the words, I want to say the words, having interaction sound a little bit like having an erection. So having an erection with uh, Baphomet is now my mental image for what he was like. He went down there and he was like, hello, I'm Boone. Schwing. I'm having an erection. Uh, but please continue. <laughs> it was just really important that I uh, broached that, I guess. This coffee is really good. Yeah. Also, I, I don't get this. Okay, so the Nightbreeder is supposed to be like the race, race, just a bunch of different humanoid races that were on Earth before people wiped them out, even though they had superpowers and people don't. Right. Um, but also, the, some of them work like vampires and some of them don't. And if they do work like vampires, does every person have like nightbreed lineage that gets brought out when like another nightbreed bites them or can only certain because you think he would turn into the same kind of monster as the kind of monster that bit him but he turned into a completely different kind of monster and why does he turn into a monster anyway if he's a person it just yeah i I have no idea and and then he turns lori into a monster and they can't all do that i don't think but yeah maybe that's something that was specifically in the palanquin's uh, repertoire, yeah, uh, and yeah, it was never like. Is the idea that 
uh, that Boone, like, is this something where he was secretly, like, half Nightbreed all along and it took that interaction to bring it out? Like, he had to die to activate his Nightbreedness or he had to be bitten to activate it or being bitten and then dying and so then he's dead and he's not really dead and he's Nightbreed. It felt like there was like there's sort of a zombie thing here, but also not consistently. And and I'm willing to accept the idea that the problem is that, uh, well, there's all kinds of different night breeds, so some of them work this way and some don't. But also, everybody seemed really sure that he shouldn't be there because he was just a natural, right? And then he was not a natural anymore. And I don't know if he was all along just not really natural, and that's why he was having the dreams, and that's why the destiny and all that, or if it's just literally, yeah, that that dude bit his ass. And uh, gave him some sort of nightbreed virus, and then he wasn't a natural. But then, how did the uh, how, how did the guy that ripped all his skin off get down there? Yeah, I don't know. I, I I feel like that guy. I feel like that guy was just a giant fan. Like that guy really read as like a total like he was a nightbreed Midian fanboy, and it sort of got out of hand. And then once he got there, they were like, "Oh Jesus, you ripped your scalp off." He's like, "Yeah, because I'm nightbreed." And they're like, "Uh." Do you have a God, dog? We can't. We can't tell this guy to leave. We can't. Yeah, I think. I think. I think. Like half the people down there probably were actually just like people who were too nice or too into it, and and it was like the the, the nerd social fallacy thing where you can't exclude anyone, and so half the people in Midian were actually just people who thought you know. Clive Barker was cool, or or who really liked uh, you know doing makeup effects, and that's why we didn't see much of them because like they were just like, oh, is something happening. Let me go, let me go put on my my makeup effect. Hey, check it out! I got I got a finger beard, and then they get shot. Uh, and then the priest who gets like the blood of Baphomet ah, spilled into priest. his head yeah. that just makes his head look weird, and you know gives him a a, a you know like a revenge uh, plot. Is he Nightbreed? Is he just a messed up looking? Yeah, person? I don't either. Like, yeah, like, like, does being scarred by Baphomet's blood make you Nightbreed? Like, is 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 it Baphomet's like? And was that Baphomet's blood exactly, or just Baphomet's weird ritual liquid? I wasn't clear on what that stuff was supposed to be. I mean, uh, what's his name? Lylesburg referred to it as the blood of Baphomet, but okay, that doesn't okay. necessarily mean it could is. Be, could be figurative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. E- either way, yeah. Like, that that whole priest thing, like, I don't know why any of that was there either. Unless the idea is that the priest was setting up, like, a sequel where he's the new person going after everybody instead of Dr. Decker. A lot of this movie felt like they were going to be setting up a sequel, uh, although it's sort of in, like, that Super Mario Brothers way where there is no way toward the end that they actually thought that they were going to get a sequel. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's just, it, it's a weird, the whole priest thing, like, like we get the priest for no apparent reason. He's just, mm-hmm. I guess, maybe was in the drunk tank or something. But it's yeah, not the drunk thing, because it's like, yeah. So he's like in a serious cell, and he's sitting there, and he's hearing them beat up Boone, and his fingernails are cutting in his palms. So emotive is he, apparently, about the injustice being done next cell over. And then he like loses his faith in, in God and has to see Baphomet or something. And he's just like tagging along with the police who are like murdering a bunch of people. And he's like, hey, no, that's I'm not sure that's okay. But yeah, the, the, his whole arc just seemed like... I don't know why he was in that movie. I don't know why no. that character existed. Uh, yeah, the movie really goes off the rails at, like, the third act. Um, and, and which is weird, because, like, the first, like, the first, like, the first act is really solid. Um, you know, you, you got, you got, you got, you got, you got Boone, who's, you know, he's, he's, 
you know, they, they define him decently. You know, he's got like the weird ass apartment. He's got his job as a welder. He's got a, you know, a girlfriend who's a rock star and he's got some issues, but you know, some not. He's got this doctor guy that he sees and it's, it's, you know, sort of, um, almost like a Jacob's laddery kind of setup. And then, and then, you know, it just, it, 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 it loses everything. And he's just like, well, I guess I'm in charge of the night breed now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's sort of like the uh, you know it's it's the hero's journey, but it's like severely severely truncated to the to the extent where why are any of these people even listening to him? Yeah, and it, yeah, that, and yeah, it, it feels it feels sort of just strangely messy and, and yeah. undirected the way it plays out. You know, you know what? It feels like at times to me like this really could have been, and and this is going back to saying that in ways this film reminded me of Labyrinth at times. Mm-hmm. It, it really feels like it could have been like. A stage play, you know, it almost feels like yeah. get Andrew Lloyd Webber to <laughs> write up a write up a bunch of songs for it, and uh, then you know, like I felt like the monsters were halfway to jazz hands during the big monster montage when Laurie wanders down there and is being freaked out by seeing everybody. Oh yeah, with like the the Danny Elfman music behind yeah, it. Yeah. It's just you know, it's funny. I knew he had done music for this and like it was clearly like thinking about it, it was clearly Danny Elfman, but I was I was sort so, sort of taken up with other stuff in the film, both stuff that I thought was interesting and stuff that I was, you know, not so interested in uh, but sort of goggling out that I didn't particularly notice the Danny Elfman's like I think I've just seen enough films that he's scored that it just sort of I think the, the the only time that like I like seriously noticed it was um, when Boone is like setting fire to his possessions in his wood paneled home on his wood paneled floor, and and he's hallucinating watching himself like um, have sex with Laurie, and it's just got like that Danny Elfman music behind yeah. it, which is just like just the most inappropriate kind of music for a sex well, scene. I was watching that. I was watching that scene, and that struck me as like this is a very Clive Barker sort of moment, like you know, a blurry, drug induced, multi layered vision of yourself. Uh, fucking someone as seen over the licking flames of your like memories being uh, figuratively and literally burned you know it's like that, that that yes this is probably translated directly from about two pages in the book yeah because uh, it felt like a, a very Clive sort of thing um yeah, no, and, uh, I, with the Danny Elfman music on yeah. top of it, just just what? <laughs> just, Why? <laughs> well, and I, I here here's a question: like like acknowledging this film is kind of a, a a goofy mess in a lot of ways. Would it have been better if they had used a more serious soundtrack, or would have just been terrible? Like as it is, it's sort of like the 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 the, the somewhat goofy, playful nature of the soundtrack. To me, it feels like it sort of is at least of a piece with the rest of the film. So you can sort of say, oh, this is all kind of goofy and people are having fun making this thing. Uh, um, you know, I think this movie had like the thing where they, you know, like it, it had like a tonal mismatch that 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 worked at points, you know, um, like uh, just for instance, the scene where like they're like doing the whole like ritual of Baphomet and um, what's his name? Skinless guy like lights a cigarette and then just mouths the word sorry. That was pretty funny well, that guy was um, great you know yeah. I, I feel like if they had taken that character and really sort of made that more of a central character somehow uh like i don't know what the story would have been with that guy more central but i feel like they got some really great mugging and 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 stuff from that dude and that character was like fun uh to watch and then yeah but um yeah just uh it 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 didn't like it didn't 
work for that in in like that that scene just because i mean you could have danny elfman music but i think like the danny elfman music specifically that was in there was just far too like world of chocolate goofy yeah um just for what was going on even like i mean you know that he's 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 a talented composer but i think it was just a misused tone to the music for that scene specifically i think for other stuff like you know when laurie is like exploring down there like his music's perfect for that yeah. because it's it's supposed to be like kind of scary kind of goofy um but like that scene specifically it was just really really uh you know just jarring i want to there was a a recurring theme down in Midian where it seemed like it's, you know, there, there's mentions on several times of the law and the rules and, you know, how, how it is. And, and obviously there's a, 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 eventually a point of tension was like, Oh, but by following the rules and obeying the laws of society, you know, we're, we're creating our own destruction here by not reacting to this threat from above and blah, blah, blah. But, but, but before that throughout, like there's a bunch of like, Oh, you can't do that. You can't go in there. That's forbidden. Blah, 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 blah. They're like, nobody enforces, like I feel like no. everybody down there is just so used to being like, oh well, you can't do that because that's the law. That just nobody does it, and somebody nobody tests it. And then like Lori wanders in, and she just like people are like, oh, you can't go in there. She goes in there. Oh, you can't be here. Uh, she's here. You know. And the same thing with Boone. And it's it. I it, it might have been interesting if that if the film had been some sort of meditation on the nature of like cultural conservatism and the usefulness of, you know, violating social norms or overturning orthodoxy or whatnot. But this this was not that film. Obviously, this is not, you know, something that they were taking a serious uh, go at. And so instead, it just comes off as everybody being, like, super, super <laughs> effectual and, like, just sort of, yeah, like, they're, they're, saying, their society's uh-huh. built on, like, a very, very fragile pedestal of not only, it's like, if anybody finds out about us, we're totally screwed because we don't actually take any effort to keep them from having a press conference about all the monsters that live in the cemetery. It was, it's just, you know, like if, if it's a thing that people come to them and have visions of them, or maybe was he like the first one? Cause it was two guys, you know, it was him and then skinless guy that both had like yeah. visions of Midian. And I think, skinless guy would have made it there without Boone. I mean, yeah. he knew how to get there. Like, he had directions. Yeah, I'm not, so, I'm not yeah. entirely sure why he hadn't just, in fact, gone there uh, instead of being freaked out in a hospital. Yeah. Because um, I don't think he was admitting that hospital against his will because he would have been in a much more secure facility than just guy stalking around a room ranting. Uh so yeah, it's not clear why. Maybe maybe it's the old reversey. Maybe the guy well, the whole time knew that he was playing part in the prophecy, and so he was waiting for Boone to come along so he could freak out at Boone and you, like cut off his face. Uh, not because he actually thought that Boone was sent as a messenger, but because he was sent as a messenger. But he's also a huge goof. He's like, ah, oh, I'm gonna fuck with this guy's head, but I'm gonna get him to Midian. I'm gonna get him to Midian. Um, also, he kept saying, "Take me to Midian," and all I could think of was uh, that song by Hozier, uh, Take Me to Church. Uh, I am not that? sure what that is. No. Take me to church, smile, bone, saddle, bones, I'm ready to... Yeah, okay, it's a song that uh, is uh, a hit right now. Uh, the kids are listening to it. Uh, so that... <laughs> let's move on, <laughs> basically. Uh... Yeah, no, it seems like they've got a really, really poorly organized secret society. And yeah. it seems like there's a surprising number of people who have a sense that something is maybe going on. Uh, it seemed like it was awful easy for Dr. Decker to find it. But it also seems so. So 
Dr. Decker's whole thing, David Cronenberg's button face character here, uh, it turns out that he's murdering those families at the beginning of the film, that it turns out it was him murdering. Uh, it's because they were breeders of Nightbreed? Was no, I think no, no, no. I think what happened was he was he was he had like one of those serial killer things where he was murdering people who he thought should not be multiplying because they there was something you know wrong with them or that they were you know filthy or or, or oh, something. So he was, he was just he was just killing people who were breeding. Period, and then he got yeah. onto this whole night breed kick. Yeah, and then he's just like, oh, there's this nightbreed thing, and they are like the worst, and you know, there's there's more of them, and they have kids, and it's my, it's like you know, it's my job to get rid of all of them now. Apparently, for some reason, I think he was just like a serial killer who's who's you know like serial killer drive psychosis thing just got kicked into you know like high gear because he t- turns out that there's all these monsters. Like this is my destiny. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. But here's the thing: was Boone having visions of of Decker's murders, or was Decker listening to Boone's murder dreams and carrying them out? Yeah. What was sure. the link there? I'm not sure what the situation there was either. Uh, and 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 we see that uh, Decker's apparently perfectly happy to drug up Boone uh, when he gives him the hallucinogens instead of uh, lithium lithium yeah but uh but i i guess we don't know if that had ever happened before like it's, it's a possibility that decker had been sort of like because it really seems like decker was grooming boone to be a patsy uh yeah set running up to this whole point which which makes sense if you're a serial killer you probably want to you know have some plans about how to manage that uh which i want to say uh hannibal uh when we when we finally saw dr decker's uh office yeah, <laughs> you know his home office with the long table full of knives, and then him sitting there at the center the, of the, the shop. Weird the, indoor fountain aquarium. Yeah, things. the red bubbly uh, like blood fountain or whatever, and the the blown up photos of murder victims, I guess, uh, on the wall behind him, and that, that was very like, oh, okay, okay, you know, I mean, it's it's not it's not as stylish as Hannibal, but it's kind of got a little bit of that. Oh, okay, well, this is this is the quiet study. Of you know the man who just happens to be an insane murderer, uh, but also you know he likes to read the paper. <laughs> yeah, there was the uh, that that was just that was just a it's like do you, do you have a boardroom in your house with I yeah that that was just such yeah. a such a, like a, a a movie sort of thing. Yeah, but yes, yeah, uh, to, to, to go back to that, what you were saying, the the whole thing with uh, the, the 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 murdering. Uh, and the dreams, and I, yeah, I'm not clear on whether Boone was having some sort of visions of the stuff the guy was up to, or if Boone was just having miscellaneous bad dreams. It seems like the fact that Boone was having these visions of Midian and the and the Nightbreed mm-hmm. is what had uh, Doctor Decker so. And interested. he had he had some other symptoms that were never described because, like, all the way at the start, where you know he wakes up from that that dream about Midian, and he's just like kind of happy about it, and, and Laurie's just like you know just call Decker and tell him it's just the nightmares now. And so there were other symptoms, but I don't think they ever go- went. <laughs> To what they were. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah. Boone actually did just straight up like murder someone at some point, and Decker like was on to it. It's like I can use this, uh, and, and, and so like it's actually a story, sort of of I don't know redemption exactly, but like you know some something more complicated going on there. Let's let's imagine a rich backstory that justifies narratively a bunch of the stuff we saw <laughs> this film. I think that's what we should do. Uh, 
<laughs> Let's start with the welding shop where you can make out with a person for like a solid two minutes and nobody says anything. Yeah, what are you going to do? The guy says uh, he's seen his girl. You know, say he'll get back to welding. He's a good welder. Just, just, just give him a minute. You know, hey, hey. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's a oh gosh. Um, the, the 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 suitcase. So I, I guess probably what was in Doctor Dexter's suitcase was his button face mask. Uh, but we, I, I thought it was the knives. Uh, probably probably knives too. I feel like his yeah. basically his murder kit was in his suitcase. So at one point we yeah. see him sort of look in his suitcase and uh, I don't know if he smiled exactly, but that sense of my gosh, this is really something. And I guess yeah. he was just looking at his own equipment and thinking about doing some murder. That uh, could be the photos that he showed. That was sort of the implication, yeah. but I think that was supposed to be like misdirection because we kept we kept coming back to the suitcase occasionally, and so like yeah. it couldn't just be the photos because we already saw the photos and there's nothing exciting about that and they're basically just crime scene photos. Uh, so I think I think the suitcase was supposed to be like you know uh, an ongoing mystery, and then we find out oh his mask is in there, but. Uh, that didn't seem to really come through very clearly in the film. It just felt like a thing that was supposed to have been a thing, but then it turned out not really to be one. I mostly just kept thinking of Pulp yeah. Fiction. Oh, yeah. Um, the police department in this movie sucks at shooting. Yeah, well, they, they suck at everything. Like, everything about the police in this movie is, like, just super dumb. They, I, I think there's, like, you know, a good 30 seconds of, like, everybody unloading their weapons at Boone, and then the autopsy guy pulls out... Three bullets, <laughs> exactly three bullets. Yeah, yeah, and 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 they they're they're real hair trigger. Yeah, you know they're, they're just the, all the and it felt really weird too watching. Hey, look, uh, the police uh, too quickly shooting a dude. I I've been like, it's been months of 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 like real life sort of shittiness about yeah. like the situation in Ferguson and whatnot. And like as an accidental metaphor for that, it was like, just, uh, this isn't and then the like film. satirically like over armed, uh, like small town police department. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're arming themselves. It's like, well, we've got, you know, like a, a coup's worth of weaponry here. And it's supposed to be funny because it's, you know, why would they even have that? And now it's, it's less so. Yeah. Uh, it becomes biting satire rather than surreal satire. Yeah, and I, I kind of liked the uh, scenery chewing little uh, quartermaster dude. Like yeah. it was like it's like they got a budget Harold Ramis. <laughs> yeah, uh, he looked almost exactly like Harold Ramis in stripes. Yeah, uh, same glasses, like almost like same uniform. Um, <laughs> I'm just really excited about those assault rifles and such. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like that—that that felt like that. It could have been. It, it felt like again, it was. It, it was in a different movie, maybe. Like that was. That was in like a super ham-handed satire about like you know uh, police. Uh, but instead, it was this movie. There's in theory about you know the the story of this uh, underground uh, tribe the, of survivors. The police chief is straight up. Have you watched Spaced? The yes. uh, he is that that is Nick Frost's character from Spaced. Is it Nick Frost? Yeah, the, the, uh, yeah, the military yeah, guy. yeah. Is that military Nick Frost? Dude. I keep forgetting, like, because there's uh, what's the name of like the, the guy that stars in that? He's well, it was in, yeah, it's 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 uh, Sean Simon Pegg. <laughs> yeah, Simon, Simon, Simon Pegg. And Nick Simon Frost. Pegg. Simon Pegg. Like he works with two guys, one of which is a writer, yeah, one Edgar, of which is an actor, yeah, and one Ed, of them is Nick Frost. I don't remember which one is which. Yeah, Edgar Wright is the uh, I think uh, writer and, and director, and Nick Frost, and Nick Frost is, Frost is the, the actor, yeah. yeah, actor and comedian. Um, so yeah, no, yeah, kind of. It, it, it's it's got that whole sort of like you know really really satirical over the top 
macho, but not like not like Jesse Ventura macho. Just like you know, let's let's kill stuff. Let's let's do bad things. Uh, is awesome sort of thing. That that, that character was super scenery chewy to the yeah. point where it feels like he maybe should have been tied into the film better because like he, he he pops up several times and he's all over the third act and he's a the driving force behind uh, uh, the, the the whole police charge on Midian. Uh, yeah. But we don't get a whole lot of him. We just get like this repeated, you know, goofiness. Uh, and that that guy has been in a bunch of stuff, and I think he plays a cop like almost all the time. Uh, so this this feels like maybe was his chance to be a ridiculous fucking cop uh, in this film. Because yeah, the, the the whole thing was just like that character was so odd. He could have been the central character of a bad cop movie. Uh, it would have been a pretty silly bad cop movie, but still. But instead, he's like just the cop character in this film, along right. along with the other guy. Uh, uh, Detective Joyce Hugh Quarshy, uh the black cop who uh, I feel like were they were were they different jurisdictions? I don't remember. I wasn't clear on where that guy came into the story, and it felt like they were sort of. I thought at first that he was going to be uh, sort of like the straight face, let's do things by the book, don't do that terrible stuff guy. But it turns out he was pretty much on board with let's go kill the monsters too. Everybody yes. was, and and the thing is nobody blinked at. Uh, okay, so here's the thing. Like it, it's it, it's a big thing where where Boone is sort of discovering his his destiny when he finds Midian and finds this this secret underground place where monsters aren't just in dreams; they're real and they're people. And then he becomes one of them. And like that whole thing feels like a let's peek behind the veil into the truth of the world where it's far stranger and more mystical. Uh, and darker than we ever really thought in normal life. But then right. normal life just comes barreling along after it and doesn't even blink. Like, everybody in that police department, everybody who gets in that big mob at town, they're not like, oh, hey, we heard uh, a thing that's totally plausible to us and we're angry about it. They're just like, yeah, let's go kill those monsters. You know, and it's like there's there's no moment where everybody's like, holy shit, you mean... You mean monsters are real? You mean there really are terrifying things of the night? This changes my whole worldview, and I'm so upset by it and so incapable of processing it that I'm going to lash out violently. It's nothing like that. There's no development of this idea that the night breed are out there and a threat or something. It's just like, hey, everybody, let's go shoot some monsters because monsters are totally a real thing. And maybe it's just the cemetery. So, hey, maybe it's just one of those things where, um, you know, like the, the, the proprietor of that store that I don't think so was that a store what the hell was that a shack full of oh full the of old crap? the old fellow who gets tied up with the Christmas lights and then stabbed yeah him? yeah yeah that guy like he he had an idea that they were there maybe it's just like some sort of a thing that like everybody in town has like heard stories of the night breed because they're super bad at keeping themselves hidden yeah um and then they're just like well we have confirmation that you know the monsters are real let's go get them Ah, yep, they live up uh, Midian Way. Yeah, yep. um, yeah, it's yeah, it, it, it's a weird thing. It, it, like, like, it feels like it could be some heavy-handed metaphor for something, but I don't even want to try and figure out what because, like, it was such a clumsy, heavy-handed thing. <laughs> like, yep. I, I'm, I'm kind of better with it just being the weird story in the film than being like a. I don't know. Could it be a, a, an AIDS metaphor? Could it be a religious metaphor? You know, it's like just pick something, and we could probably, you know, we got a lot of ham and a lot of hands here. I'm sure we yeah. can make it work. Uh, a thing with the, the guy who got who, who cut off his own uh, scalp, but not his face. I thought that was an interesting move. 
Like you, I, I sort of assumed he was going to tear his face off, but he just tore everything else off instead, which was probably easier to do uh, with makeup so that he could still look like a person. But, but he was dying after that. He, he, he cut his own face open, and then he was dying. Would you, would you die from scalp trauma really quickly? Uh, I kind of feels like... Uh, I think you might like, die of blood loss. Maybe, maybe. But it's... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I, but as a general thing in this film, it's really easy to kill people when you need them to die for dramatic purposes. Yeah. Like, everybody dies immediately from stab wounds in this movie. Like, you just... <laughs> it doesn't matter where. Like, like Lori, I think... What does she do? She stabs herself in the stomach... Yeah, like uh, at for, the and then immediately pulls it out because it hurts, and then just yeah. drops down. And, and you know, you don't want to get stabbed in the stomach. That's a bad situation. You know, you, like you know, sepsis and infection, and and you know, it can be a, something that may very well kill you. Yeah, but uh, it's not but like it's, it's like, like a yeah, kill sort of thing. Yeah, it's not something that's going to kill you in thirty seconds. You're going to be like in a lot of pain and uh, internal bleeding, and and but but like everybody, everybody who gets stabbed. Get stabbed because they need to die, and then they die because they need to die, and the whole thing is kind of yeah. like like I, I realize movies aren't great about this in general. I mean, you know, obviously the need for a dramatic death uh, supersedes the medical reality of, of of injuries and whatnot a lot, you know. And in action movies, people just like fly across the room when you shoot them, and so like like obviously there's tons and tons of dumb stuff in films uh, about this sort of thing. Anywhere from people being like ridiculous about even what they wrote in the first place, they have no idea or because they wrote it intentionally knowing it's a little bit goofy, but they kind of need to move the story along, etc. But this film, it's just like, it's, it's, it's extremely there. Again, it's like, it's like a stage play. It's like someone got stabbed with a fake knife and grasped their chest and, you know, gave a soliloquy sort of like level of just goofy. Really? That's, yeah, and it's a movie uh, where they were willing to have huge explosions and tons of shooting. So it's like if they really needed to kill someone quickly, they were clearly prepared to do so. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I like the fact that the uh, like, well, yeah, yeah, Boone gets stabbed like through the chest, like at some point, and then he ends up in that jail cell, and then they get the doctor to go see him, and the doctor just jams his stethoscope directly into the wound <laughs> in the middle of Boone's chest, well, and he just knows like, well, for sure no there's no pulse. It's yeah. like, well, there's no heart there. It, it's it's sort of toward the left. Yeah, I don't know or if the, the right. Like, was that a crooked doctor? I'm assuming. Like, they brought the doctor in to certify that they hadn't roughed up Boone when clearly they yeah, yeah, shot a Boone. He, so, so it must have been like a stooge doctor. But it, yeah. but still appears to be a doctor. And then he gets so freaked out by the lack of pulse, you yeah. know, that he just fucking bails on the whole thing. Which I mean, I, that'd be understandable uh, to an extent if we're going to take the actual you know notion of the guy not having a pulse is something that somehow happens uh but like again he's not like something is really wrong here i have to figure out what's going on something's wrong with my stethoscope something's wrong with this man medically that's really depressing his blood pressure no it's like oh he's clearly dead he's clearly a dead person i accept that at face value and i'm upset about it everybody in this movie is very credulous yeah it's yeah I, I would say that's that, that that is a central issue with a lot of the characters is there's a degree of credulity that denies us character development that would naturally come from struggling to believe the unbelievable. Like you know that's that's uh, you could do a lot with that with the character. You can really get a lot of mileage out of someone struggling to change their worldview. But no one's worldview changes in this movie. Everybody's just like, oh okay, I guess that is a thing. Okay, sure. 
you know, and so it, it, it robs it of, of of some of that some of that drama and some of that tension as we try and figure out how someone's going to deal with it. Um, I mean, we talked about we we, we talked about uh, dumplings uh, previously uh, and how the the main actress the the main character's development over time of you know stealing herself to accept these things that she was willing to do in order to chase down her happiness and her her youth yeah. and vitality and that's what made that movie work was you know that that slow careful development and exposure of her struggle to change how she feels about these things uh and and to see it so completely absent from a uh, a movie that seems to be about someone's journey uh, into this strange new reality of his his life is kind of it's kind of frustrating. It's uh, yeah, he just sort of seems to accept everything that like happens to him at face value, and he's just like, well, I guess that's the way things are now. I'm a monster. Yep. Um. Also, God's an astronaut. Yeah, so, yeah, the, uh, that, that was that was a weird ass scene. <laughs> that was what the police chief was like, you know, uh, but, but I thought it was one of the monsters. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't remember it. It's like, I thought it was, what's his name? Palanquin or Pequinon or maybe, maybe, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Um, my, my next note was just about somebody having a gun. Uh, and I think I was guessing based on that. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a movie that rolls up together a little bit in my brain. I will give it that, you know, yeah. I watched it like a day and a half ago and it's already <laughs> sort of muddled in a lot of ways. I mean, it comes modeled. It, um, you know, it's not surprising that it would be like difficult to remember which scene happened when and how. The moment when they shot Boone and he died, mm-hmm. uh, and they pulled out, I was like, "What if? What if they just rolled credits? What if this was like a <laughs> twenty-five minute film, and then then that's it?" Yep. Uh, yeah, I was expecting there to be some sort of twist in this where it turns out that he'd been dead the whole time and that there was no Midian or that he was the killer. This was just really straightforward plot. Yeah, it was yeah, it, it, there, there was there was no twist. I mean, I guess the big twist is that Dr. Decker was the serial killer, but like which you can sort of pick up on the very first scene the Decker in. Yeah, yeah. Cronenberg did not yeah. exactly deliver a, a, a subtle portrait of the character yeah. at the start of the film. So it's like, you know, clearly something is up with this dude. Clearly, yeah. you know, if not scenery chewing, at least sort yeah. of like a slow, steady scenery gumming, you know, sort of yeah. feel like, you know, you never didn't know that something was up with that character, which takes out some of the, the twisty potential there. Yeah. Here, uh, take these. take this medicine rather than a prescription that you would fill at a pharmacy. I got it for you. I'm yeah. a good guy. <laughs> Helping me out. Uh, there was a high risk of infection cabinet in the morgue. Yeah. Uh, what? What? High risk of what being infected? I don't. I don't know. But uh, it looked like it definitely looked like the most fun cabinet in there. And I wish we could spend more time with it because all that. And that bright, was almost definitely red shot on location. That looked like an actual actual oh, morgue, think? which means that yeah, which means that has to be like an actual thing in a morgue. That I mean, or something. Yeah. You know, Clive Barker thought would you know make the scene pop a little bit. I also like the, the sassy black assistant coroner. Yeah. Yeah. That felt very much like, Oh yeah, we're it's, it's 1990. Uh, the, the, there's a, we see a newspaper. We were talking about, uh, Dr. Decker's office and he's reading a newspaper. And, and so we come into that shot actually on, on a view of the, the, the newspaper and it's the headline is body of mass murderer taken from morgue. Uh, which I guess this is Canada's like most reckless newspaper <laughs> because like regarding the corpse of someone who was never even charged, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're just going to declare that that dead, 
body belonged to a mass murderer. That's how we're gonna. That's 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 the head we're gonna attach to this thing. <laughs> that's one. That's one of the things that made it really. You know, it's like. I, 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 I think about this, actually. I think about like little elements like newspapers and stuff. I'm a big Stephen King fan. I've read a bunch of Stephen King books. And one thing that he's not terribly good at is writing fake news copy. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, it, like he, he does okay, but like it's always one of those things where you know it's like I can tell that this is Stephen King writing fake news copy. Whereas like uh, uh, James Elroy, um, a bunch of the, uh, the, the American uh, – the American whatever trilogy, uh, JFK James getting shot. The guy that did Rum Punch or the guy that did LA Confidential? LA Confidential. Uh, Who did Rum Punch? I keep because I keep getting that, Elroy confused. Is, is, with. Is, is that Elmore Leonard? That's Elmore it. Leonard is the person I always confuse names with with James Elroy. But I'm yeah, pretty sure James too. Elroy is yeah LA Confidential and all that. He he's he's he has like news paper headlines and clippings show up in in his book sometimes, and he does a fine like it, it fits right in with the sort of noiry you know. Uh, 50s, 60s, pattery feel of the stuff he's writing, and he does a great job of it. Like you know, it's 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 nothing fancy. It doesn't do anything. He's not writing long form newspaper articles, but you know, it does a job. Whereas Stephen King, it always feels like here is Stephen King's uh, ham handed impression of a newspaper writer. Have you have you watched BoJack Horseman? Yes. The uh, just Bojack every time Horseman. BoJack keeps like trying. Oh, I lost you for a second there. Oh, can you hear me now? Yep. Okay, yeah, every time Bojack, like, tries to describe a newspaper describing him, he's just like, you know, a sitcom actor writes autobiography, it doesn't sell, everyone hates him. And then Todd's like, where are you getting these newspapers? Um, it is, yeah, it sort of feels yeah. like that. Well, and I've thought about because every once in a while I, I've, I've tried to write something where I want there to be some sort of, like, you know... Uh, background that's you know in the in the form of some sort of media that is you know sort of realistic and i'm i'm always super self-conscious when i try and do that because i don't feel like i'm very good at it. but uh i also don't you know get 11 million dollars to make movies so it kind of works out okay as far as it goes so yeah it, it just it, it felt like i see this sometimes and it feels like it's one of those little details in uh creative work that can really really distract me even though it's supposed to be just a figure little detail uh you know, just find someone. Find someone who worked for a, move, a newspaper once, and have them just give your your thing a quick pass, and have them turn it into less obviously dumb. Because it's it's such a it's such a it's such a weird little detail, but such a distracting one to to see something. It's a it's a, it'd be like you know having a, an art gallery in your movie where there's an incidental visit to an art gallery and someone refers to the Mona Lisa and then points over at a crayon drawing and it's like <laughs> but no it has to look right otherwise I'm like what the fuck is going on with that crayon drawing instead of thinking about your movie not that I, not I that this movie's biggest problem was the bad headline but I think everybody should just try to do variety style headlines. <laughs> <laughs> What else? I got a. I wrote a bunch of notes, but so many of them are just like little things. It's like, oh, that's a, that's a thing. Uh, I did like that uh, when. Uh, oh, I think it was Lori ordering a beer. She wanders into a beer. Oh yeah, just tell her a draft. Yeah, what'll be draft? And and maybe that is totally like I have no idea what the beer scene was like in Canada. Well, it's probably in a Moosehead Ale. Well, probably presumably, yeah. Uh, if she asked for bottle, it would also be a Moosehead Ale. Uh, they only have Moosehead Ale. <laughs> Uh, but I kind of like that because I mean, uh, honestly, the I'm so used to Portland's beer scene having you know sort of 
grown up in it as a drinker in like, you know, the 2000s, you know, when it's a really, we've got a really well-developed great beer scene here. And like, yeah, like the, the shitty bars have four or five taps of like local and regional uh, craft and microbrew stuff. Uh, but I realized it was not always that way and it's not always that way elsewhere in the country still. Uh, and yeah, maybe just saying, oh yeah, I'll have whatever the one you know beer you have. And there was like five taps in that bar, but they were all not labeled. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I liked I liked I liked Cheryl uh, Cheryl Ann, and it's kind of a shame that she was so obviously going to be murdered by Doctor. Yeah. Like, like that. Like, I, as soon as like. Like, 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 it's supposed to be, I guess, a surprise that oh, Doctor Decker is the the handsome gentleman named Curtis who she yeah, meets, that, that was a, that was a yeah, really dumb bait and switch. Um, I just there would just be so many better ways to do that bait and switch than actually show her sort of interacting with a completely different guy before being like, oh, you know, I guess later in the bar she must have met Decker, who called himself Curtis, who wasn't that guy that bought her that drink. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was she was doomed from the start, though. Yeah. She was in, she was in. I think I said, like, Hellraiser 3 or something, and I don't remember, I don't, I'll, I'll look it up real quick here, but, uh, uh, yeah, she she seems familiar to me, but I don't know what I, else I would have seen it because like, she's got a big pile of uh, credits, but it's like nothing that jumps out at me. She was a CNN reporter in Patriot Games. Uh, I mean, I saw Patriot Games. I don't know. Is that, that a Tom like, Clancy? Yeah, yeah. That was one of the. Uh, that was uh, that was Harrison Ford as uh, an older uh, Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan, yeah. Um, so, but I don't know if she was in that. Like, I don't know if she was a major character as this CNN reporter, or if she was just like briefly on screen. She she was a woman. She was woman in shop in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the the more recent one. Uh, she's a voice actor in a game called Driver San Francisco. Um, Played one of the Driver games, but not that one. That's I, I. That's a really great game. It and it's despite itself. Driver San Francisco is like. Goofy as shit. Um, it's the the plot of this is honestly the the plot of Driver San Francisco is goofy and ridiculous, and it's not any worse than the plot of Nightbreed. So I'm just going to go ahead and give you the quick version. You're a cop uh, in in modern day, as far as I can tell. You're a, you're a cop in modern day, and you're chasing down a dude who is a suspect and he's a bad guy. Um, and I think you get t-boned and th- knocked into a coma, and in your coma. You have this dreamlike experience of being like in a 1970s uh, cop car procedural sort of thing. So all of a sudden you're doing a bunch of driving because it's fundamentally it, it's a driving game. You have to do a bunch of like driving based missions, races and checkpoints and knocking people off the road and so on. Uh, but it's great because you can hop between cars like arbitrarily in the city. So like you can take someone out by hopping into a car coming in the other direction in the opposite lane and then just steer into them, that sort of thing. And this is all supported by the idea that you're in this you're in this weird sort of dreamy coma where you don't know what's reality. You don't know you're in a coma, but you keep getting little blips. That's, of, that's straight up the plot of Life on Mars. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was clear, uh, like clearly someone who made this game was like, like I wouldn't be surprised if somehow this started as like, let's make Life in Mars into a video game and ended up there. But in any case, yeah, it's, it's totally that. Uh, and it's ridiculous and it's goofy as shit and the plot doesn't really make sense, but it's a lot of fun. And it's like, it, it turned out to be a really great game just all around, mostly because it didn't take itself too seriously and it didn't try and get too grimdark about the whole 
like you know coma and revenge and and so on plot um so it, it was just instead it was like a real like you know driving around heavy american cars through san francisco uh and it, it's pretty great <laughs> Uh, anyway, so that's Driver San Francisco, in which Cheryl Ann was a voice actor, apparently, although I don't know what character. So maybe that's why she sounded familiar to me. On the next episode, if we have <laughs> such games to play you. <laughs> you know, I, uh, you, the, the game thing, I just bought Alien Isolation. So this is a, this is a recently released game set in the Alien universe, uh, and it's really – really solid so far aesthetically because uh, like you the opening of the game you spend like the first half hour you're wandering around uh, a ship that's basically the same ship as the Nostromo uh, <laughs> and really really doting design in this game like like someone really watched the shit out of that movie and really likes Ridley Scott uh, and they got it all right visually uh, in a way that's really nice and then you crash uh, your way onto a space station that's abandoned and I'm crawling around corridors. I'm barely into the game. Nothing has happened and it's been terrifying and wonderful. Um, like I'm just crawling around and, and trying to find another human being at all and no one has even mentioned there's been no specific sign of the alien but I think I'm going to be running for my life from it uh, later on in the game once things get cranking. Uh, that would... I, 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 I want to recommend it to you but at the same time I know you have said you're not so much into the being super fucking terrified by jump scares and stuff thing. Yeah, also I'm not a very into stealth. Yeah, so this is probably not a game for you. Uh, but it's a game that I feel like you should be exposed to at some point. I'm probably, I, I keep trying to find somebody on Twitch that's playing it, but I never can, or they're just super annoying. Well, we, we can um, we, we can we can hook up sometime. I, I can I can run. Through oh, that'd something. be sweet. That could work because they got this. They got the stream. Uh, uh, Streaming things. Steam streaming. Yes, the broadcasting on Steam now is a thing you can do. Uh, so, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll do that. Anyway, video games are great. Nightbreed, meh. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I, I, I made a note that uh, maybe the film passed the Bechtel test because of Laurie talking with Cheryl Ann, but then I'm realizing after the fact, I. They're, I'm not sure they never didn't talk about a guy in there. Like, I mean, yeah, no, no, they spent the whole a, time talking about Boone. Yeah. Well, and, and, and okay, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think it was about the moment that uh, Cheryl Ann was talking about going and uh, maybe getting lucky. And I realized technically she's talking about men at that point. Yeah. But I felt like she was at least talking about it more in a I am a woman who knows what I want thing and less a I really want that guy to want to have sex with me. So it was much more of a nonspecific like, you know, yes, now I will go – uh, do what I feel like doing, and so it's it's a stretch, but it's sort sort of there, sort of there, yeah. you know, but not not very. So yeah. Yeah, I think I think I think I, I think I jumped the gun when I was making that note. I was just you know I was I was pleased that at least it was the two female characters having like a conversation that felt like it was about the two of them having a conversation at least, you know. Was, I mean, I think at one point Lori and. Um Babette's mother, who... Didn't she have a people name? I think she had, like, a regular people name. Probably, but I don't know. Yeah, uh, the smoke lady. Um, yeah. They had, like, a, they just had a conversation about Babette, and that was it, and that that worked. Yeah, yeah, that, um, that sort of counts. Uh, there was a sweet uh, crawl through a cutaway of the earth. I liked that at one point when we went... Oh, yeah, with, like, the, the, the mummy like a, inside yeah. of a coffin? Yeah. That seems... It was silly, but I, I always, yeah. I always love. I, I want to see a supercut of every crawling through the earth scene from every movie and TV show ever. There was at least a dozen on The Simpsons. Yeah. 
at least. <laughs> uh, Boone at one point jokingly says to the face cutoff guy, "Hey, you hit me again, I'll rip your face off." That was that was some nice banter. I, they started to sort of get into a "Hey, we're monsters" sort of groove there. I like their like the 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 old ass car that the monsters had, which was that was very yeah. very um, what he called the monsters sort yes. of thing. Where they have their own like little jalopy from uh, that was yeah that was like was this like a sports car from like the forties or something yeah with darked up windows so they could drive around in the daytime even though some of them are light sensitive yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and did face ripped off guy was he wearing the cowboy hat and sunglasses so people wouldn't be able to tell who he was or because he was allergic to the sun yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure what his deal was yeah. he didn't seem too worried about the sun like he didn't seem like he was being particularly careful yeah. Uh, I feel like maybe the other people in the car were the issue there. Uh, there were a couple of Temple of Doomy moments in this. Yeah. Uh, it felt like, you know, there, were, there was a couple very Kali Ma things between the initial putting of Baphomet's blood on Boone's chest. In and which, I think like that, that, that whole pan down of Midian with like all of the rope, uh, yeah. rope walkways and stuff. That yeah, was, and, that and was the fighting really on the, the bridge Jonesy. thing even yeah. uh, later with Decker in particular, where I really expected Decker to just like cut a rope. Uh, so strong were the vibes. Uh, plus, Babette's mom puts her hand through a guy's chest, so it's like a reverse Kali Ma. Uh, so yeah, I mean, not not to suggest that the film was in any way attempting to, you know, riff off Temple of Doom, but it, it, it felt weirdly resonant. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think they were they they were actively trying to go because I mean, like it's 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 not like a straight up horror movie that they, they were they were they were I think trying to go for like a sort of a pulpy fantasy thing as well. Yeah. Um, just did not. And if they had gone more in that direction, I think it would have been a better film. I mean, it really would have it would have worked better if it had really been sort of like a fantastical voyage. Uh, but so much I, of what happened in it just ended up being like really banal. It would have been wonderful if that scene where Laurie is like exploring the like the exploring uh, Midian and like all of the incredibly inattentive monsters that live down there where like a couple of them notice her, but nobody says anything and nobody really cares, even though like they made a big deal about Boone coming down there being a natural. This time, a bunch of people are just like, hey, you're clearly a human, but uh, I got shit to do. Well, yeah, I, 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 again, with like the, the, the boundaries and the failure to actually enforce whatever the, the sacred, powerful laws of the society are like nobody. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody gives a shit at all. Like the only people who gave a shit were the ones who were like, "Hey, you know, it's pretty boring down here, but here's a freaked out human. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's." Uh, well, uh, but um, I'll make but yeah, I think, that, I, I think that scene would have been immensely improved by a musical number. Yeah. Well. Okay. So, uh, going over the uh, details uh, of the the director's cut uh, to sort of see the basic idea of what was in there, and at some point, something writing was like, "There's even a musical number," and I was like. I, when we had the the song that Laurie's band is playing early on, I figured that was probably it. But I was still holding out hope that it yeah. would turn into like like an actual like musical number, and that was definitely the scene that felt like it could like totally like that drummer monster would maybe start you know drumming a little bit more in a beat, and people would start jiving back and forth, and yeah, and there's like a bagpipe monster, yeah, it would it was have been just fantastic. bagpipes. Like um, Laurie could have taken some of Boone's you know hallucinogens by accident or something. Yeah. Just the whole thing, just make it work, guys. It would have been it would have been a moment, perfect, perfect scene for an Oingo Boingo cameo. <laughs> All dressed up as monsters. Yep. Uh, uh, there was a. Uh, 
Yeah, speaking of like Laurie's musical number, th- this movie like tried to do that thing that I've seen in a bunch of movies and like especially like anything Twin Peaks related, you know, the series or the uh, the Fire Walk with Me, where I, I don't know if it's whether to, to like, you know, make sure this movie doesn't like become too outdated too fast. They like in their musical number, the, the style of music they play and, and the way people are dressed are in no way correlated to anything going on at the time. Yeah. Like she was singing, you know, like a it was, it was almost like a a uh, what do you call it a um, ah what what's that style of music? Uh, you know, like the crystals and uh, yeah, it's sort of like a girl group. Uh, yeah, like yeah, she was doing like a girl group sort of thing, um, dressed like I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't too it wasn't very eighties, but it also wasn't very nineties. Yeah, it was sort of like halfway and, to Boy George, sort of. Uh, yeah, and and. and in no way would that have been a popular song around that time, or like yeah. I, I, the popular music did not sound like that in 1990 or 1989. Um, and like I think they, they, you know, like that's a so similar sort of thing in Twin Peaks, where they have like, you know, they have like you know the badass biker bar, and like Julie Cruz and her band are there, and she's dressed in like the peaked cap and just singing like straight up like Portis Head type of stuff. Yeah, where it's just like that. You know, and I mean, in Twin Peaks, it kind of works, and this movie was just well, kind of yeah, like, I, I you, felt you like, guys just not even bother? In Twin Peaks, it really felt like it was David Lynch very intentionally doing an odd juxtaposition that played to his preferences in a way that, like, you know that he's doing this very yeah. much on purpose. He's trying to sort of yeah, create a like sense the of cultural displacement. The, uh, yeah. yeah, like the jukebox and the whatever the hell just happens to have, like, that weird jazzy thing that Audrey dances to by, uh, uh-huh. no, not Ennio Morricone, the other guy, Angelo Badalamenti. yeah. Yeah, it was, but yeah, in this movie, it did not feel like that. It just felt like, oh, she's in like a not very good rock band that won't go very far. Yeah, and, and the song is all like you know somehow you know it, it's it's thematically relevant to the film because it's all about you know she's dating a guy and she wishes he would uh, you know get angry, get mad, get passionate, and blah 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 blah. And in the meantime, Boone is on this voyage to become something stranger than he had been before and you know accept his new nature as as this kind of leader of monsters and yeah and it feels i feel yeah it feels like a film that's uh, a a song that someone involved in the making of this film wrote and then they used it and you know it's not the worst person must have been about 60 because when is the last time that a song addressing a guy named johnny was popular (laughs) past like 1955 Uh, well there was there was uh, angry johnny by poe and that was like late 90s so so there you go motherfucker Presaged Poe's career. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know who her brother is? Daniel Esky, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I found out about that. Uh, it's the guy that wrote, uh, for anybody who's wondering what the hell we're talking about now, <laughs> the singer Poe's brother is the guy that wrote House of Leaves. Yes. And, and her album, Haunted, is uh, basically a companion album to that book. Uh, and it's actually kind of interesting seeing they're both doing their own respective takes on some of that same thematic material based on their weird fucking childhood, I guess. Yeah, and I think, like, there's a version of House of Leaves that has, like, hex codes, like, on the inside cover, and if you you type those in and, and, and save it as an MP3 or something, it, it plays a post song or part of it. <laughs> nice. I've got, yeah, I've got one of, like, the middling copies of it. Like, it's not the fanciest weird rare printings, but it's got a little bit of the extra stuff on it. The copy I bought was fell apart as I started reading it, and I never went back to it, but I thought that was... That's, that's I, I assume yeah. that was somehow appropriate. I mean, I never got to read the book, because yep. it kept falling apart. Yep. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a scene in late in the, in the book where one of the 
characters is sort of trapped in a void and reading the book, but also needs light to read the book. And so he burns earlier portions of the book for light to be able to read the later person. And it's a question of whether he'll be able to get through the book before he runs out of book to use, to burn, to read the book. So there you go. You had the, clearly you had the deluxe copy of, of the novel. Uh, there's a, there's a scene I want to get your take on where again with Cheryl Ann, uh, she takes uh, Laurie out to Midian or out to the graveyard mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, and then uh, she's like, you know, go do what you got to do. I'll stay you know, here and do something else. What was she going to do? I swear to God, I thought she was just going to steal Lori's car. That is what I thought would happen. That like, she'd like you, Lori be like, okay, and go over there and then come back and like the car is gone and Cheryl Ann is gone. But no, apparently she just, did they take listened. Lori's car? I assume they took Cheryl Ann's car. Cause she's I, like, I'll take you up there. That, that was like my best guess, so I had assumed it was I guess Lori's car. But why would um, then? Why would she? Why would she? I'll. It, it, okay, so here's the thing: the delivery of "I'll stay here and dot 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 do something else" felt very conspiratorial. Like not like I'm going to wink at the camera, but like I'm yeah. winking at Lori. Like you and I both know what I mean when I say do something else, and it's something yeah, I'm I okay mean, telling you, and okay being uh, caged about son- putting into words. My second idea was masturbate. That, that see was that like, me too, that and like it things. makes no fucking sense. But at the same time, it's the main like like it seems like the wink wink. I'll just uh, keep myself occupied, if you know what I mean. Uh, or maybe maybe like maybe do a bump of coke or something. Something like that was in there, you know. But we didn't get any of that from her, you know. We didn't get any sort of raging alcoholic stuff from the bar scene. So it's not like I'll, I'll stay here and <laughs> get happy, you know. It's like there was I had no. Yeah, no, they, they definitely did line. not provide enough context for it yeah. to be like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge sort of thing. It's like, no, I, I, I don't know what you mean. I'm sorry, <laughs> but okay. And it turns out what she's actually going to do is smoke a cigarette and listen to country music, and yeah. then, you know, get murdered by David Cronenberg. But uh, she maybe, you know, she was just like, oh, I'm not doing anything at all ever. I can give you, I, I can go with you out to this random ass place outside of town. Yep. Maybe she just, just does not have a lot going on and does not require a lot to occupy her life. And like the, I'm going to do what I'm going to do thing is just nothing. Yeah. Just, this is what she says about literally everything. Like, you yeah. know, whatever someone does, that's not what she's doing. It's like, I'll do something else. Yeah, maybe she's just like constantly got this like quasi flirtatious tone going on and just can't turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a disease. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Lori has this line to uh, some of the Nightbreed. I don't know who you people are, and you can hear yeah. you people really capitalize. I was like, you're just burning a whole lot of credit there, lady. Just you know, you save somebody's daughter, take the win. Don't yeah, I, I, I really wish that there was just somebody in the background going like, "What do you mean, what you, you people?" people? <laughs> exactly. Also, there were flies already buzzing around Cheryl, Cheryl Ann. Yeah. When uh, yeah, and there's uh, just, flies everywhere in this fucking movie. You know what like it is? When, it's because when, David Cronenberg was in it, and he made uh, Fly. That's actually an autobiography. What year did Fly come out? Oh, I, I, I want to say a couple years later, but I'm not sure. Eighty six. Oh, earlier. So there you yeah. go. Let's 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 assume that that was some sort of subtle reference yeah. to the Fly. That's what. That yeah. Was. Why not? And not just misunderstanding the idea that you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like the fact that, like, apparently in, like, the Nightbreed Code of Law, if you save a child, you can keep it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that Seems, was about. Yeah, it's just like, well, it's like, it's like I, want, I, want, I want information. It's like, well, you save the child, so if you want it, you may 
keep the child. And the woman's like just shaking her head. She's just like, no, I don't want your child. This also, well, I, how did how did Boone know that uh, that David Cronenberg was there and and doing murdering anyway? Do they have, like CCTV down in Midian? Because he's like they're having an argument down in the underground city about whether or not Boone should be able to go try and help well, Laurie. There's, right? There's that guy that bangs on the walls, and I think that guy interprets what's going on oh, around and like translates it for everybody. And then somebody there like interprets the banging. Okay, so maybe like they the, all know it, and somebody explained it to Boone. Like, there's probably like a cut scene where Boone's like, "What's that banging? Oh, that's you know." <laughs> somebody give me a pencil. I got a okay dot dot. Yeah. Dot. Yeah, I kind of want. It, it felt like a, a little bit elided, but uh, but what do you do? Uh, so the old guy, we, we talked about him briefly, but I also want to talk kind of a little Lylesburg? bit. Uh, no, not 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 Lylesburg. The the old guy, the old natural with the, the oh, store. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it a the, store? Or not David Cronenberg goes in and asks about Midian. Mm-hmm. Well, was this guy? I, I, I'm trying to figure out where this guy is in terms of his motivations because clearly he knows about the monsters in Midian. Mm-hmm. That becomes clear. But he sort of brings it up. Like David Cronenberg walks in and he's like, uh, you've been up to Midian? You smell like it. Uh, so he's actually mentioning Midian by name. Yeah. But then he seems to want to help not – like he, he desperately went, no, ain't nothing but dead folk up there. You know, it's like he's re- – like is he guiltily backpedaling after saying too much? Does he kind of not like the monsters but, hey, they're local and, you know, you don't want to be unkind? Like what was his whole fucking deal there? I think he was just, just like old an old, crazy old man. Yeah, yes, that just ugh. it was. And there, there was a you know there was another death where somebody was stabbed with like a knife that went like an inch into their sternum and they just dropped dead cold. Yep. Uh, there's there's a tableau uh, of uh, I guess basically inquisitional historical torture and murder of nightbreeds. Oh, in the credits? Uh, no, not in the credits. Like like it, somewhere shortly after that. That old dude, I guess. Oh yeah, well, where the uh, where the, where they reveal like the prophecies and stuff. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and that was in the credits hard... too. Like the credits was a slow pan across that. Well, stuff. Okay, no, not not that. No, no oh. there, there there was a scene of like like seriously like medieval or inquisitive. Oh, you mean the flashback, not like a literal. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I, I figured. It out. Sorry, because that was kind of a <laughs> dick move on my part there. <laughs> Uh, yes, no, the, the, the flashback. Yeah, and the previously on Nightbreed thing. That, is, that um, is a scene that looks as unfortunately inexpensive as it is. Like, like it doesn't look yeah. like shit necessarily, but it's really obviously uh, a 20-foot-long lineup of stuff against super minimalist matte painting rather than the giant killing fields thing they're going for. And I wish they'd found a different way to shoot that because it really looks – it looks like check out my awesome diorama. You yeah, know. yeah, it, it definitely had like the same vibe as the uh, what? Do you, what, do you, what, do you, what was that thing in Hellraiser? The the, the Tower of Pain or whatever? Um, where like I think like the first time you see it, it just like looks like a prop. Yeah, uh, yeah, it had that same. Also, when was that supposed to take place? When was this giant like genocide of monsters that's not in any recorded history? Yeah, but I don't know. Apparently. You know, like there's because I mean, like the name Midian is it's, it's biblical, and you know, like they, you know, the the pre the uh, what do you call it the, the the priest talks about like the Bible, so like and, you know, like all of the kings of Midian were slayed, both men and beasts, but like that that was not Bible times. Uh, that was definitely like you know, 
that that looked like you know like Inquisition times. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, was going to say like fifteenth, sixteenth century is yeah. what looked like they were going for there. But but, but you uh, think like the 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 big you know slaying of the 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 monsters would have made it into history at all? Or maybe it was covered up. Yes, it was all a conspiracy. Uh, yeah, uh, the 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 dullest, most poorly managed conspiracy ever. I guess <laughs> nobody put a lot of effort into that one. Um, Do you think they had the big elaborate structure of hanging bridges and nets and stuff because they actually needed them to to create space, or just because they're bored because they live underground in a tiny uh, society of I, outcasts? I think that they did not have a lot of designers and engineers down there. Like one guy figured uh, out rope bridge, and then they just sort of ran with that. Yeah, exactly. And like the ones that don't need it can just like climb up the walls. Like I, I think it was just like a necessity sort of thing where they don't need anything more complicated than that because nobody really, you know, needs anything more complicated. Like also, did, uh, did, it looked like they had apartments, but. They were carved into the walls. I, guess, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know how they live, and like some of them look like they just live on the street, like that 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 guy that looked like a scorpion made out of garbage, uh, or, or whatever he was. Like the, the 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 structure of their society is 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 not made clear of like yeah. how they live. Yeah, because it wasn't an underground. Do they have sewage at all? You One know? of them was eating what looked like to be a dead body, but you think they would have run out of dead bodies? Yeah, I mean you can't or, just. Yeah, yeah. Either a they would have run out of dead bodies, or if like people are constantly burying more bodies in that cemetery, <laughs> they would have found the monsters <laughs> by now, or at least been like, "Wow, these are some really weird looking gravestones with like the tentacles and the arms sticking out." Yeah, the, I don't remember making these. Do you? The, the, the graveyard itself that like gave me the strongest like labyrinth vibe of the whole thing like like it really felt like some of the cheaper sets in labyrinth where she's like wandering through the maze or whatnot uh you know there's a maze in labyrinth by the way um <laughs> but yeah like something about like the, the the graveyard some of the shots felt extremely like this is not a very big set and we're just going to make these fake stone things go all the way up to the top of the frame so that you can't see the highway behind it or whatever uh, I got a yeah. I got almost like a Tim Burtony feel from that, where it's just yeah. like no one in their right mind would have made this. Um, you know, like as a thing, like it's supposed like Midian, like the, like above and underground is supposed to be really stylized, but it wasn't. Yeah. No, I mean, if that was an actual graveyard, I would totally hang out there all the time, uh, just for like the weird, odd goofiness of it. But yeah, yeah, it was. It did not sell spooky graveyard very well. It it sold. We need a graveyard set. Please, someone get this done. Yeah. Uh, also, Lori just doesn't close the damn date gate on the way out, which is just yeah, that's just rude. Born in a yeah. Um, there was uh, what was that? It was um, it was a uh, it was an episode of uh, not an episode. It was an issue of like this comic book called Kid Eternity, which was like this Vertigo book based on a character from the fifties about this kid that can like bring like helpers back from the dead but um like at one point he like it happened like shortly after death of superman and like somebody was just like how is it that like all of these like you know undead things are calling the earth and he's just like well you know superman died and you know then he came back to earth and some of us weren't raised on a farm and closed the door on our way out <laughs> also this movie uh is the midian is basically the weirdest version of fraggle rock ever was yeah uh, was, yeah, was, that's there. We go. That's that was, I've been trying think, to put my finger on that yeah, for a 
Well, that, that was Angela's observation, and it just clicked. And, like, really, if this had been repurposed as, you know, a super weird live-action Frega Rock, that would have been amazing. And, again, musical numbers, you know? There just was not enough actual monstrous choruses in this film. Not any, basically. What was with the lady uh, who was so bad at holding and cleaning up pastry? Like, she's yeah, the one person I, I, I'm kind of happy heard. got murdered. Because, like, you cannot be this bad... At, and then she's like pastry. eating parts of it on the floor and at the same time grossed out and picking up it bit by bit. Just yeah, like, sort of, yeah, I, I, it's like, I think they just needed to like buy some time to create suspense and they, they, they ran out of time to figure out how to do it. And they're like, we just need to fucking shoot this. Just drag it out. Yeah. Just, just uh, get what you can. And, and then there'll be a murder and uh, the logistics there. So she, she finally looks up and she sees the head of, I guess the other guy who works at that motel or whatever. I wasn't totally yeah. clear on that whole sequence, but anyway, uh, his head there, and 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 that's after she sees some feet across the other side of the desk, which would have had to have been like Doctor Decker's feet. Yeah. Uh, so Doctor Decker's feet are there. She looks up. She sees the head, not him. Then he's behind her, and it it made no fucking sense. It was uh, it was not it was not. No. I, and I I have to kind of wonder if that's one of those things that just like maybe that got edited out because. There was no way to. I don't even remember. In. Was that was that the that, that was the inn where where Boone was staying? I, I think Boone and Laurie were staying there. Yeah, and then Doctor Decker murdered yeah. a bunch of guys in the the bullhorn, like all the people at the the bar with the bullhorn hats. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then, oh, and then are, he kills people next door and punches a hole in the wall. Yeah, which then Laurie sees it through and is like, "Oh my god, Boone!" Yeah, I thought she was. I totally. I mean, thought that she was going to get stabbed in the face in that shot, but she did not. Yeah. Uh, there's that one cop when they're beating up Boone when he's in the jail, uh, and that one cop has a super persistent low chuckle about beating up people. Like, yeah. like he it never he 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 has very little to say. He's just like constantly just, like this is what I do. I watch the chief beat someone up while sassing him, and I chuckle. <laughs> you know, it was, it was very odd. It was too consistent. Uh. At some point, uh, a cop, I guess, I, I, th- I think it was a, yeah, it must have been a cop. Uh, they torched, our, they're, they're out at Midian, they're out at the graveyard, mm-hmm. and uh, someone has blown up a car, which, you know, good for them. We don't see any of it happen. We just see the yeah. car having exploded and it's on fire. Cop reaches in, pulls out his Grabs radio the from car. the burning car yeah. and says, they torched our car, the lousy freaks, uh, while standing next to it. Which is on, yeah, it, uh, yeah. It was really resilient radios. Yeah, he was like Canadian yeah. made. Yep, really. Um, what the, the police chief surviving the explosion at the end? <laughs> First of all, I didn't realize that explosion was that deadly. Uh, was that the explosion from when the guy like tried to fire the rocket launcher? Yeah, and then yeah. And missed and blew up a car instead. Yeah, I think so. I guess. That, that whole that whole ending sequence is a bu- big explosive mess. Yeah, for for no apparent reason, uh, as as I guess we've we've said already. But uh, there was another officer in the cop shop when uh, oh I don't know Boone was breaking in or someone I don't remember exactly what was happening. But basically, one cop goes to the door and then like gets grabbed through a shattered window and thrown backward, and the other cop is sitting there and he's so slow to react. He basically goes for another sip of coffee. While his coworker is being thrown backwards, he eventually manages to pull out a gun. But uh, it was it was it was some pretty excellent 
non-hair triggerness, I guess, from what is otherwise apparently a wildly bloodthirsty police department. Um, Why did the chief put on those black latex gloves before beating the crap out of Boone? Because that's what Nazis do, I guess? I don't know. I, I don't there know. There was like this really just sort of unsettling like tone of, are they going to sexually assault him <laughs> in there? To that whole scene. And no, he just puts on like rubber gloves to punch him in the face a few times. It's like, fists don't leave fingerprints. I, I just, I had no idea. Like, I, you know, maybe it was... Like to not damage his hands to just I, I, yeah I have yeah, no I idea know. what was going know. on there. I guess maybe save you some some cuts or nicks or something. You know, I don't know. there was the, there was the toplessness. Uh, which oh was, yeah, the gratuitous nudity yeah, because it, it, the, was, uh, it was sort of character driven, I guess. But again, we don't get enough about these characters for that. Like like I think the idea that uh, that lady Babette's mom was like sort of being some sort of like. Uh, vaguely Egyptian seductress type thing going on there was maybe sort of the tone. And so the top, well, I thought it was like that, a, I thought the topless was just because she, when she turns into smoke, her, she, she can't make her clothes turn into smoke too. Oh, that could be. And so she's cause, cause like when, cause when they open the door, like Lori is there with like her robe or caftan ah, or whatever, that would do but it, why did the things in her hair? Yeah. Go yeah. That's the thing. I guess I saw that and I, I was getting sort of like a, a sort of like, like sexy mummy vibe sort of thing that they were going for there. It seemed like, but, but also she's like French, right? So I, was yeah. she French? I thought she was supposed to be like, I don't, you know, like I said, gypsy and I hate using that term, but she was, yeah, like, maybe, I, I yeah, thought maybe, that was, that was like the sort of thing that she was. Maybe that was, like, I, I may be queuing partly off Babette as seeming like a, a French name to give your kid yeah. not French, but yeah, she's like, like, yeah, sort of like dusky accented sort of thing going on. Yeah. Porcupine lady really just sort of dragging out her kills. Yeah, yeah. That, well, like, that, she gets the one guy in the neck with, like, one of the quills, and he's just like, I'm not feeling too good, and then dies. And then Harold Ramis goes to explore. And she does this, like, you know, dance thing, and then hides, and then gets him. And then she, like, does, like, a couple of, you know, like, stealth ninja kills, like, predator style. She, you know, she she was having fun with that. Yeah, it's it, it's weird how the ga- the 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 game the 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 film occasionally uh, just had. It feels like sometimes it wants the monster interactions and the monster kills to be you know funny little set pieces, and other times not so much. And it's really inconsistent on this. So yeah, you have her that whole scene with her. Like yeah, she managed to from the shadows essentially quill a dude, and then she sort of seduces uh harold ramus budget version uh and and i don't again what is with these people this guy came up here with a crazy mob to kill a bunch of monsters this lady is not even subtle this is not babette's mom this is a woman with a super weird stretched out nostrils and crazy spotted skin and and a bunch of porcupine quills and he sees a guy probably die, maybe just be sick, and he's like, "Oh well, I'll go Copperfield because she's got boobs." You know, it, it's like it, it, the motivation here makes no fucking sense. And then, yeah, and then, and it's because it feels like they just want to sort of draw out the hoe. And here's, and then she kills him with her awesome quill firing thing. But like the pacing of the film, it makes no sense to slow down and take the time with her. None of the characters motivations make there except for, I guess, porcupine lady being motivated yeah. to kill them is fine. But the, 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 the humans have no sensible motivation for doing anything no. other than immediately opening fire. Uh, 
And the same thing the, with the the dude with the tentacles that come out of his stomach. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the the scene with like a uh, Paul Bear and uh, Harry Mandel from Little Monsters, um, <laughs> where he was just like, it's just like, well, I've got these. And then he makes the tentacles go out and then, like wrap around his neck in like a really impressive way. And then when he's confronting like the human, he does like the exact same thing. A giving that person more than enough time to shoot him, and, and, and we've established then, that they would totally yeah. have shot him, except in this case. Yeah, and then got to wait yeah, for him to do his thing. Yeah, and then he wanted to show them off, and then do the thing where like these eye Doctor Octopus eye tentacle things rip out the other guy's eyes. It was just like, why? Why would you do that twice? Like you, yeah. you showed us like the fancy thing you can do with them. I feel uh, like I feel like Tentacle Guy is like a self insert fanfic protagonist is what it is. Like this whole story was written by him. But he just has that one yeah. scene where he gets to do the awesome thing that he came up with. Then he was designing his character as sort of like you know. I like the 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 the, the Howie Mandel and Little Monsters guy though because he had a rad jacket that was like a <laughs> satin. What was that like a satin eight ball jacket? Uh, it was pretty dope. Yeah, I don't remember what the hell is that guy's name. I, I don't even think he had a name. Kaczynski, you know, just just no. make, just make oh, up yeah. a boring sounding name. Uh, I, there was a scene where Boone is trying to get everybody to fight, and he's like, "You know, you." Uh, oh, this yeah. isn't like we we need weapons, and he throws down the coffin, and there's like you know old corpse lady in there. Mm-hmm. I really thought he was going to start pulling out femurs and handing them around. Yeah, and I'm actually disappointed that what he did was like sort of break up the lid of the coffin. Because yeah, uh, here take this large unwieldy plank and see if you can hit somebody with it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, the, the, as as. Uh, this film, if they had managed to make the third act be some sort of uh, seven samurai or, or three amigos, you know, rally the town to stand off the bad guys thing, maybe that would have worked okay for a third act. Like, you know, it, it would have tied into the idea. Uh, yeah, they, they never really made it clear that the monsters weren't willing to defend Midian or that they were like, we, you never got to, he was like really, really sure that none, none of the Nightbreed wanted to bother to defend Midian when there was no reason like given to the audience to think that because we had no idea what their opinion on their home is. Yeah, we sort of get Lylesburg, you know, wringing his hands mm-hmm. a little bit, but that's like it. And nobody seems to pay attention to him. Yeah. Yeah, I just, that was... It's like, yeah, if you don't do it, yeah, like the, the Braveheart sort of... Uh, this was this was before Braveheart, though. But yeah, well, it was like yeah, Braveheart didn't invent that. Yeah, but it was like that same sort of thing. It was just like, if you don't do it for yourselves, <laughs> do it for your children. It's like, well, they never said that they wouldn't do it for themselves. Yeah. Why are you so exasperated? And, and mostly what they end up doing is getting shot anyway. Like, we don't really see yeah. a whole lot of monsters other than a few yeah. monsters... Fighting. And Mostly you've what we been see the here getting for shot. like four. According to the movie, like you've been here for four days. Pro- half of these people probably don't even know who the hell you are, unless you know, like part of the initiation is going around and being introduced to everybody. Um. Yeah. And then the film ends with with Boone and Laurie standing. Uh, yeah. Oh, first first he gets renamed by Baphomet. He's oh, just yeah. like you must. Uh, what was that? You must rescue me and defend my people. It's like rescue him from what? Or like you must like find me. Find me. Like I, I think the implication is Baphomet's avatar there or whatever it is is going to get mm-hmm. destroyed. Which is funny because earlier Boone really urgently asked, "Can we move Baphomet?" And and Lylesburg in what appears to be an attempt to develop some will and, and advance his character yeah. out of his conservatives is like basically you know it might be possible. And then we get nothing from that. 
No, no, yeah, there, we have no idea some people crawling around there. Not. I guess maybe that's what the people who were down there not being killed for being around Baphomet uh, were doing, but it was not really clear, and they didn't accomplish it, and Baphomet certainly didn't seem to think it was going to happen, and yeah, it's these pieces just bouncing off yeah. each other. Yeah, and then Laurie and Boone are making out, and the other monsters are now living in a barn, which was a really nice shot of a barn, by the way. Um, just like that, that, that shot of like the outside of the barn looked really cool. It reminded me a lot of um, like the the establishing shots in Courage the Cowardly Dog. Did you ever watch that? <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, and they're just like, you know, when will Boone be here? It's like, well, maybe if not on this wind, then the next. It's like, wait, do they tell time by winds? Yeah. That seems well, they like misunderstood. Awfully... Someone once told someone once told a uh, a nightbreed to wind their watch, uh, but they misunderstood. Like they wrote it down. Like they left him a note, a sarcastic note about winding your watch. And there's like winding, winding my watch. Oh, wind. That's how you. And and from there, they yeah. Ever since then. Yeah. And and I guess it was supposed to make him like look heroic where they're like, you know, he'll, you know, Cabal, which is now his new name, will come for us one day. And in the meanwhile, he's like making out with Laurie in the woods. I guess it was supposed to make him seem like the big hero, but instead it just looked like he was, you know, like doing the incorrect thing at the time. It's like, you have like an entire species to rescue. Why are you like making out right now? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think that was all my specific notes. Yeah, mine too. Uh, I I kind of I I kind of feel bad because uh, I feel like we just spent a couple hours just slagging the hell out of this thing. But uh, I didn't uh, I didn't think it was a very good movie. Yeah. I, I'm glad I watched it. I think it's sort of neat to have some more context for Clive Barker. I'm so glad that you clarified that this was in fact directed by Clive Barker. That sets to right uh, a Cronenbergian portion of my world. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, just not. It doesn't really. It doesn't work very well as a story. It's uh, it's got a bunch of ideas jammed in there, and I kind of maybe I will just sit down and 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 read the the actual Barker book because I wouldn't be surprised if it works better in that form than this film ended up being. I honestly, the only thing I can say outside of that, hey, you know, I've seen another Clive Barker movie, is that um, I will no longer be getting this movie mixed up with The Lost Boys. <laughs> because I have been mixing up the, the these two movies. Well, I haven't seen The Lost Boys, so I, I've been mixing these two up for a very long time. You should see Lost Boys sometime. I The only thing I've seen of Lost Boys is like that saxophone scene, which is just like the <laughs> baddest ass thing. Because I, if if you've never seen Lost Boys, listeners, it's there's a scene of a very very greasy muscle man, like really playing the fuck out of a saxophone that he dwarfs. Like you know, usually like a saxophone is is a is a larger instrument, but it's it's both like one of these smaller saxophones, and also he is enormous, so it's it's hilarious. And also because it's supposed to be like this totally badass thing of playing a saxophone, which was like a thing for a very short period of time in the the, the late eighties and nineteen nineties, um, where like the saxophone was like the cool thing to play, and then then that stopped. Yep. Um. Yeah. Yep. Nightbreed. Nightbreed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't really have. I, I don't feel like I have any lurking thoughts beyond that. It's just. Uh, yeah. Not a lot of not not a lot of like subtext in this movie or or just really subtlety or, or yeah it does a pretty straightforward job of not being very good yeah yeah not a lot to sink your teeth into that 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 that's good so other than Boone's shoulder eh? oh eh? 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 
Right. Uh, um, <laughs> we do we have a movie picked out for next week? I don't think I we don't, do. I didn't you suggest? Do. Didn't you mention you wanted to? Do, okay. Well, we'll pick something. Yeah, maybe Wayne's World. Maybe. <laughs> World. Uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, we'll post about it on, on, on the Facebook and, and, and the Tumblr and the so on and the hey, hey, hey. Uh, and all you listeners can uh, do the, the things and the stuff with the, the hey, hey, hey. Basically, this yeah. is a very hey, hey, hey centric podcast. Uh, so if you have three hey, hey's, hey. <laughs> help us out with your hey, hey, hey's. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll post about it. Thanks for, thanks for listening as usual. Uh, we apologize if you have a deep abiding love for Nightbreed when we just broke your hearts. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what, what the hell do, podcast did you think you're listening to? <laughs> <laughs> no, surely this one they'll be nice about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with something. Hopefully, hopefully back in a couple weeks. I think this is, yeah. th- this is going to come out like 10 days from the last podcast since we were sort of slow posting the last one. But that one was like a month and a half or something. So we're, we're, we're getting back into... The yeah, papers. we haven't mentioned the word Fortnite in quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Let's get back to Fortnites. Remember Fortnites, Yakov? I remember Fortnites. Fortnites are great. Maybe, well, I think what we'll try and do is see all in a Fortnite. And uh, we'll yep. see how that goes. Yep. Take get it easy out there. One, two, three. Let's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Y